following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. The right workspace is more than just square footage. It's an incubator of achievement, a magnet for talent. Your workforce unleashed. For 160 years, Savills has been bringing real intelligence to global real estate, ensuring not just any space, but the perfect workspace. Because the most important dimension of a building is the human one. Savills. See what Savills can do for you at Savills.us. My name is Matt Perez. My name is Satchel Drakes. And this is Overworld, where we try to be curious, fail at being smart, and talk about video games at the intersection of art, society, and other stuff. Hey, Satchel. Hey, Matt. How's it going? I'm chilling, you know. Do my thick yeah. fizzle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. Mm-hmm. So, I was thinking about uh, creating a character in Dragon Age Origins. I picked it back up recently. Ooh, that's yeah. cool. Actually, character creation has been on mine too because uh, it's been on my mind as well because of uh, the Animal Crossing Pocket Camp that came out. Oh, nice. Yes, I yeah, downloaded yeah. it on my phone and I have yet to start playing. Yeah, but jumped really in. Okay, so. yeah. It's fair. Yeah. I mean, Twitter <laughs> yeah. won't shut up about it, but you know. Well, there's that. Even Chrissy Teigen. Oh my gosh, I was so surprised to see that tweet from her. <laughs> it's kind of awesome. For people in podcast land, she just came out and like started railing Animal Crossing Pocket Camp for not being like the originals, and it's just like I love when it's just like, hmm, yeah, cool. Like you're famous, and like you're all about this, and I'm watching you stand so hard. Yeah, yeah, really went in. <laughs> but please tell me about this Dragon Age. Yeah, well, I remember originally playing the game, um, and back in, like, when I was in high school, I think, and, like, I remember taking, like, a selfie of myself before selfies were, like, a big thing, and, like, mm. just really trying to, like, make sure my scrawny elf character looked exactly like me, and I remember, like, getting in, like, a few hours into the game and just, like, feeling weird about it or like seeing myself and I'm like, huh, this is interesting. I don't know how I feel about this kind of thing. Uh, and I think it kind of has to do with like, I have this weird, like where I'm kind of like, I'm mostly Spanish. Right. But I totally don't look, I'm like kind of incognito. And it's this weird (laughs) thing of like seeing yourself in a game. Like, Oh yeah, that's weird. Like, (laughs) (laughs) so you mean like the, are you like the elf in the game was like, White passing is what you mean? Like, I get, uh, maybe? I don't, yeah, it, it just felt like, I don't know. And like, I remember like even having my like friends, uh, make me in their games, like, oh, we're gonna make Matt. And it was like, I, I see myself and it, it's, it's, weird. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess that is how I look. That's weird. Like, <laughs> how, how, how do you feel that you look that you feel other people don't feel you look? I, it, it is a weird thing to put your finger on, but I don't know if it has to do with like my last name being Perez or not, where it's like, if I had people like that I knew in kindergarten, like go like, wait, your last name's Perez. I never noticed. That's kind of weird. Cause you look super white. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, and I think that might be a thing where I'm like seeing yourself in the game. It's like, it, it I don't know. It, it feels a little different. And, uh, it is a thing where now when I play, um, I, I picked Dragon Age back up. I just like straight up just picked. I didn't mess with the sliders. I didn't spend hours on it. I just like yeah. picked like a female city elf and I went with it. And that feels and just way more. Yeah. yeah. And it's, uh, <laughs> I don't know why. Like I used to obsess over create, like create a character. And I'm like, mm. no, I'm just going to 
choose something really quick and get into the game. I don't know. Like, how, <laughs> how, do you, how, how you've approached create a characters? That, that's interesting. I've totally, I think I've totally had, I think I've totally evolved into throwing my arms up a little bit too. It's, it's complicated. So I, I mean, so for example, Animal Crossing, I really didn't create myself. I kind of created, I really created Frank Ocean. I kind of created just like someone who seems really cool, like who would have a cool eclectic style that I want to meet. And I think part of it is because it is oftentimes a bit challenging being able to have the flexibility to create yourself in a game sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I have a weird relationship with uh, character creation stuff. Um, I think in the past, I've because it, it ha- I mean, part of your character is not only the cosmetics of your avatar, but also like who they kind of represent. Mm-hmm. And I think about traditionally in uh traditionally in like you think about like street fighter or you think about mortal Kombat or uh you think about many games typically when i find like the like the black character the character that sort of looks at me i'm mixed too but like i'm clearly like black presenting you know like whenever i found like the character that looked like me most they were typically like a brute in a kind of way. They were kind of always a brute. So you had mm. a boxer. Jax was effectively like using his hands. Like everybody is, so, it, oh, there's, there's sort of like an archetype that tends to repeat over and over throughout, at least the games that I grew up with. Um, but I always tended up to identify a little bit more with like bookish kind of characters or characters that use intellect more than strength and stuff. So it always felt weird. It always kind of felt like a weird relationship. And that kind of like representation never really existed uh, in that way. Almost to the point where it felt weird creating a black character when you could. Um, And actually, I, I didn't like find the words to kind of describe this until I read um, this article by uh, Austin Walker who works over at Waypoint. Uh, before that, he was at what well, he's he's famous for the time that he spent at a uh, giant bomb. Giant bomb, yeah, yeah, giant bomb. Uh, where he wrote this article called "Me on the Screen," and he talks about um, his relationship with Animal Crossing. Where in Animal Crossing, you actually can only be white, and uh, he would like go to this beach area to tan, but the tan only lasted like a couple hours or whatever. And like part of the reason he kind of did that was because Animal Crossing is a much more for the uninitiated. It's a much more kind of uh, expressive game where you're thinking a lot about cosmetics and like dressing up your character. So it's really important that you can make your character look the way that you want to. And he kind of goes on this whole diatribe about um, similar similar to myself where he sort of explained he had a very similar kind of uh, situation that I did growing up as a more kind of bookish kind of heady guy who couldn't really find characters that represented him. And then there was this one day in this college dorm where he was on Mass Effect um, and he was creating a character around his friends and it felt super weird because in his head he like wanted to create like a white character because it like feels right just through repetition and like past games and stuff. It feels right like it feels like not a sidekick. It feels like not like a statement. It feels like a real hero in a kind of way. 
but his friends are around him and it's like, oh, but I guess I should be making someone that looks like me. And it was this created this really weird tension. I've totally been in a similar situation where it's like, yeah, I could make somebody looks like me, but I'm so used to being other people because that's just how the world has been up to that point. Yeah, I know you had a time. You had time, you've read the article before. Like, what are your thoughts on like that? <laughs> no, I see that being as like uh, <laughs> frustrating, you know, uh, yeah. because I think you're totally right. Where it's like there is that disconnect between like, okay, what are my choices versus like how these characters usually look in a game kind of thing. And especially with like creative characters, uh, it is like a difficult thing to contend with. I know like even this goes for like, say like um, uh, South Park Stick of Truth. Um, Someone Mm. wrote about this, not in like a, I, I guess they took it more of like, I totally get it, but is it kind of, is frustrating is like in that game you can only be a little boy kind of thing and it's like oh well, i can't see myself in this game that's so much about like creating you and being in this fantasy world kind of thing and now like that's uh reading that article i kind of like oh yeah like i didn't even notice that they just give you a character and and it, 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 especially with like animal crossing like it's a it's a very it's a life simulator in a sense where it's like yeah I'm gonna have a a house and I'm gonna work some jobs and pay off right. my loans and I'm gonna and, buy lots of clothes like lots of hats and lots of really cool glasses <laughs> yeah and I need to of, look good <laughs> no t- totally and and it's it's I, exactly what, like I guess expressing yourself is like just the best way to describe it because you are like making your house and and setting up where you want your furniture and everything and. Uh, it, it is fr- like to, to take away certain aspects of that does feel like um, like there it feels there's something absent there. I think even like playing like The Sims, there's only so many preset like how you look kind of thing. And I remember picking like oh, uh, it's the worst when they give you like six faces. I'm yeah, just like it's... like complete packages like <laughs> preset A B C D E, and you're like there are definitely people left out probably. <laughs> there's somebody, somebody like, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, it's weird. Like, I probably just look funky. I don't know. But it is like growing up, you're like, oh, there's only a few here. So I think with like The Sims, I picked like, he just had like a black t shirt and jeans and he had like, um, uh, what are those things called? And, uh, what? what? Frosted tips. He had frosted oh tips, man. Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, this, I, this is the closest, I guess, even though I've never had frosted tips and I probably don't wear sunglasses and necklaces often. This is probably the closest it gets to. <laughs> <laughs> but it's totally supposed to be a game about this, like, oh, this is about life and everything. I guess, like, games have evolved further, but there is still, like, the frustrations of, say, like, an Animal Crossing, which the new one just came out, and I don't know. I haven't played it, but I'm assuming they haven't done too much new with that. Yeah. yeah well, no. So they did improve um, sooner sooner than that. Uh, after After New Leaf came out, there was, um, depending on what part of the internet you were hanging out in, there was sort of like a lot of conversations around, hey, this character customizer, it's like not that great. And like it's kind of leaving out like Indian people and just brown people in general. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like a lot of different continents of people. <laughs> and um, <laughs> they um, they fixed it in uh, Happy Home Designer for the 3DS and then it's now a part of um, 
it's now a part of uh, the the iOS Android um, Animal Crossing as well. And I'm glad. I, I think I think it's gonna I think it's gonna carry over carry over from from now on. It's like other things. I will say, and somebody else actually pointed out that. It, well, I, w- I won't dive too much into the minutia. It does. It doesn't get that dark. Like Wesley Snipes won't find the shade that he's looking for, but <laughs> but you have options now. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't bother me. I'm fine with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, you have options yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess um, like it, it is weird. I guess like 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 I said before, where I just I just don't notice that. Like, oh yeah. Like half of me is Hispanic, like that totally. I don't notice it, kind of thing. So it is. A, I guess that might be the weird thing in a game where it's like, oh, like this. Uh, oh yeah, like just reminding me of that. But um, no, like how do you feel? Like I guess the other end of the spectrum is uh, uh, you know, the decisions you make in a game and how that um affects like how you see yourself in a game. Um, I'd say it's a pretty big deal. Like, typically for me, I like and tend to be drawn to, like, if I can add this to my party, I'll 100% do it. Like, the kind of characters that are very calculated are that air towards thinking through things in a very tactical way. Anybody who's, like, kind of nerd proper um, and thoughtful rather than, like, the brute or rather than somebody who's trying to, like, come in with, like, their axe and, like, slash through things... Um, that tends to be who I am. Um, I do try to be the good guy, but I've learned that sometimes you have to be a little bit like a snake to like – video games taught me this, which is what's weird. Like I used to go in trying to be like the good Catholic boy and then as games started getting more complicated, stories started getting more complex and started to affect real life more. Um, the way that I actually kind of go into it now is like I know what I want is to be the peacemaker I think that's the best way to describe it. Like, I want to be the peacemaker, um, but I know that I'm not going to be able to go about that in the most moral way. So I'm going to find the the paths of of least resistance, I guess, in a kind of way, mm-hmm. uh, in order to do that. So I guess that would be – is that chaotic good sort of? It's sort of chaotic good. I think so. That's um, yeah, yeah, describe yeah. that in Dungeons yeah. & Dragons terms, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I'll do, I'll flip over tables for like justice. How about yourself? How are you? It's straight. Um, that's where sometimes like a lot of games frustrate me. Sometimes is like I, I like the idea of using games as like a personality test, and like you kind of like test how like your beliefs within this like set of systems. And um, I know in like a few games. Uh, It'll, it'll usually just be like a good and bad choice, and I am too. I'm all about like efficiency in games. I'm like terrible with that. Where it's like, um, like the dominant strategy. I'll always try to find that, and if I do find that and it ruins the game, I'm going to ruin the game for myself and blame the game. You know, <laughs> like yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I like I love the Mass Effect games and like a lot of the questions they ask. Um, but oftentimes I find myself just going like, okay, which one is like the blue uh, option so I can get more Paragon uh, points to help me out uh, and just, like, boost my character in that regard, you know? Um, I mean, there are definitely a few games, though, where um, it'll, it'll, like, make me sit back and, like, think about, like, why I did something. Um, And it's it's interesting to go, like, huh, is that, like, how I am 
on a day-to-day basis or like uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i think especially um i noticed it um playing dungeons and dragons for the first time is like the character you make and um it it was weird where i'm like just unconsciously picking things that i think are cool but then you realize like oh this guy is like doing things that i've sometimes seen like in me at my worst behavior of like i've probably done that and felt bad about it and like yeah i have this like fictional character that exhibits it but like it's like this sort of like symbol of like oh this is like mad at his worst (laughs) so that's like the other interesting aspect of that dude i totally feel that i feel like it's definitely hard to pull off uh with games but in general like given the opportunity um if i'm playing a certain character long enough I mean, even I'll want to change things up. I guess it's just like real life, you know what I mean? Um, and it's only going to help me sort of improve the kind of character that I might like to become. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like only through kind of kind of uh, playing through over time do you see who you want to be. Like sometimes I like play two other characters, and like I'll try to be antagonistic. And like obviously, this is the kind of thing you can really do in video games kind of now more than before um, because now they're a little bit more complicated and like narrative trees tend to branch off more granularly. Um, But uh, I like the idea of just like real life, who we kind of are, how we portray ourselves. It it lands on a timeline that can like change at any moment. Let's uh, let's um, we need, we we need a role-playing expert on this. That's what my, that's my feels. That's where I land on this. It's a good idea. Uh, so, we're going to talk to Dave Ewalt. He's a contributing editor at Forbes, and he's the author of the book Of Dice and Men, the Story of Dungeons and Dragons. So, uh, mm. let's get into that. Let's do it. And we'll be right back after this quick break. Overworld is brought to you by LifeLock. Is your personal info for sale on the dark web? Monitoring your credit can't show you, but LifeLock sees a wide range of threats to your identity. If something happens, U.S.-based specialists can work to fix it. Go to lifelock.com, use promo code FORBES, and save 10%. So we're joined by Dave Ewalt. He's a contributing editor at Forbes, and he's the author of the book of Dice and Men, the story of Dungeons and Dragons. Dave, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Awesome. So uh, just like first off, uh, could you uh, describe your uh, main go-to character in Dungeons and Dragons? (laughs) <laughs> well, the character I played the longest and the one that I wrote about in in my book was a cleric named Westlock. And clerics, of course, are like the healer class. He was sort of a, a, a warrior priest. He was very active in battle, but you know had that role in the team of being there to heal people up when they got hurt. Sweet. So, like, how did you uh, come about um, creating this character? Well, it's interesting, you know, the cleric is one of those archetypes that you kind of have to have in every role-playing game and in every party, and I literally ended up playing the cleric because I was the last guy to show up for the first game, and the other players were like, uh, we need a cleric, and I was like, well, I guess I'm the cleric then, but, you know, it's a, it's always a fun role to play, and I didn't mind doing it. Mm-hmm. Do you kind of see, like, I guess this is for everybody, like, when you uh, have created characters in Dungeons and Dragons, like, do you go in thinking, like, oh, let me put a little bit of my personality in here, or is it, does that naturally come out of it, or, I don't know. Uh, 
Well, it's a little bit of both. I mean, I, I think when I played that character, Westlock, and that campaign lasted seven or eight years, uh, there was definitely parts of my personality in that character. I was, I was role playing. Uh, there was things about him that were sort of invented uh, personality characteristics, but it was kind of me. It wasn't. I wasn't really reaching for another part. But there's other characters. Sometimes it's fun, fun to deliberately pick a personality type that's not your own, and to play that. Uh, mm. The character I'm playing now in a new campaign is. Uh, his backstory is that he's kind of like a a carny and like a a, a sideshow freak, and so he's super like extroverted and kind of a con man, and he's very very reckless, and he's the kind of guy that like you only need to say like I dare you, and he'll do the dumbest thing possible, and that's not my personality, but that's why he's super fun to play because you can kind of reach and and be somebody who who is unlike yourself. Hmm. What about you, Satchel? That's wild. So for me, well, so what's interesting is what comes to mind for me when I think about um, like personality and kind of seeing yourself in the game with something like a role playing kind of game is that and I, I don't, I've never played Dungeons and Dragons proper, but um, I used to have a pull list at a comic book shop where on Sunday nights they would do like a zombie apocalypse kind of role playing thing and I would jump in every once in a while. And what I noticed is that, um, you know, unlike a video game for example where you might get to choose like how you look in the beginning and then also you know for example kingdom hearts you choose between like a sword or a wand that will kind of determine your like inclinations for things um with with role playing at least you have the opportunity to have like an emergent kind of character or like your character can change do you feel like you've um do you feel like you've personally gone through seasons of maybe almost getting to know yourself better by playing and kind of changing things that are more true to yourself that maybe they weren't when you first started? Is that a weird question? No, I think that's, that's a really good question. It's very insightful. I think it's absolutely something that happens. I, sort of, If you get down to the deep like sort of psychological basis of, of role-playing and why people do it either in a video game or a tabletop game or even you know it's used in, in – therapy and counseling and in psychological purposes. One of the, the reasons why you do role-playing is to explore your emotions and your thoughts and how you feel about other people. So you might role-play a bad guy in order to better understand the psychology of like, well, why do people do bad things? And I think I've definitely mm. had experiences in role-playing games of, of different sorts of playing a character and realizing like, oh, wow, you know, I hadn't thought about this, but every time we, you know, we get into a fight, I'm always, you know, I run away. Or every time we, one of my friends gets hurt, you know, my first thought is, oh my God, I better help them. And like, it definitely makes you think about like, what does that say about me as a person? Mm. And I think that's totally true. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask if you had um, researched like the beneficial effects of role playing. And I guess that's, that goes along with that, like the psychological therapist sort of aspect of it. Yeah, yeah for sure. Go ahead, please. Yeah, I was just going to say that you know I have looked into it being used as a tool for for psychotherapy, and it is rather frequently, you know, especially in everything from like marriage counseling. Sometimes they'll ask you to sort of role play as your partner, mm. you know, pretend yeah. that you're your wife and your wife is you. Um, it's also used, you know, more directly as like, okay, we're going to role play where like I know you get into panic attacks at work, so let's do a role play. I'll be your boss and you be you. Um, 
but um, those the therapeutic values are are, are are pretty clear and pretty hashed out. And I think that's particularly too why games like tabletop games like Dungeons and Dragons and some online role playing games, things like Warcraft and things like that, are popular with a certain you know, the stereotype is that a D&D player is, like, the nerdy sort of outcast kid. And that's a stereotype, but I think there's some truth to that in, like, kids who sort of feel different and sort of, you know, might not have tons of friends or, like, feel like they're a nerd. Like, doing this role-playing exercises actually does have a therapeutic value. Like, it helps them learn social skills. It helps them explore, like what to do in a situation like how do I talk to people because it doesn't have the risk of like if you're going out to actually into the real world interacting with real people that's a risky social interaction but you can pretend to do it in a role playing game and it really helps people learn a lot about about how to do those things I think it's got real therapeutic value that way Mm -hmm. that's super real I totally always end up kind of noticing a crossover between at least for the D&D groups that I've kind of dropped in on a lot of those guys end up sort of also being in some sort of improv or some sort of performance-oriented kind mm-hmm. of like thing. And I, it's interesting kind of seeing the crossover of having to kind of come up with something on the spot um, and how that skill can sort of, I don't know, do gymnastics for different contexts. Yeah, especially recently with the big surge in streaming games where people set up webcams and they'll do live role-playing games. Like so many of those people who are oh. the popular streamers come from improv backgrounds. That takes such a skill, dude. Like yeah. I tried. I remember I tried investing in like a, a setup. I wasted so much money in doing it because I just realized I'm one of those people. Like I'm definitely inclined more tra- towards introversion, so it's very emotionally expensive to constantly be going. And I was like, I completely overlooked this. This doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> but what what what's interesting about what you sort of mentioned about kind of getting like, I guess like the psychological benefits of it is. I totally resonate where like a few years ago I, I I got pretty deep into World of Warcraft and I've always aligned more intimately with like sort of like the bookish kind of intellectual type. Like I've always looked up to a wizard or identified better with the Blue Ranger or um, Cyclops. So I always kind of end up in either like a cleric-like role or like a mage or like a druid, you know, and – it wasn't until I just kind of tried being like a warrior class and I just tried like tanking that I realized there was definitely a part of me that was super into that. And I kind of started like, I almost enjoyed it way more than like casting all the time. And I don't know, like I guess in kind of diving into that, like, and I'm sure other people have a similar experience. It's almost like you get to know the things that you were scared of taking on. Maybe there's a, like a real world analog for that, that you just never tried because you're afraid of. But if you sort of go into this, this no risk context of like, yeah. like a, like a fictional game, you kind of realize, Oh, it turns out I actually, I like the excitement of kind of holding onto an enemy while other people are worrying about damage and stuff like that. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have a very similar experience with, uh, with uh, uh, RPGs, video game RPGs, like you know, I, I initially thought of like Fallout or Mass Effect, or like my first playthrough, my character is always like the Paragon. I'm, you know, it's it's kind of the idealized version of what I think of myself. You know, my first playthrough, I want to be the hero, I want to be the nice guy who saves the day. But then my second playthrough was always just like a bruiser who's just going to steal stuff and be evil, and it's because it's allowing me to explore that part of myself <laughs> in a harmless way. Heck yeah. I'm curious, like with uh, with something like Mass Effect, or I guess like a, a more video game experience where there is like a story and a reward at the end. Or I mean, I guess Dungeons and Dragons has that, but like more so where it's like your own sort of rails. Like, 
do you see there being like a difference there where I, th- I have the same reaction when I play Mass Effect. I'm like, no, they're rewarding me for being good. I'm going to pe- keep being good kind of thing. Whereas like when I play Dungeons and Dragons, the, I'm still like pretty green with it. But like my first character I made, I, I think it like I unconsciously like put in some of my worst traits and I'm like, ah, oh, this is not like I, I'm, you know, skirting morality sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the interesting thing about about Dungeons and Dragons and these tabletop games is that they're completely open ended. That the guy who's telling the story, the dungeon master, can take it in any direction and give you any ending. But what happens when you're playing a video game is they've had to pre program endings. There's usually like the good ending, the bad ending, a middle ending, or if you're playing Mass Effect, they're all the same crappy ending. But uh, <laughs> uh, but it, things play out problematic ending. Yeah, depending problematic. on what section of the internet you're on. Yeah, but it plays out differently because, like, I think in a a online role playing game or in a a PC role playing game, something like Mass Effect or Fallout, like it, it's much more about achieving a specific ending of like you you will role play a character a specific way because you see it as a win condition. Like, oh, I'm going to be a good guy and I'm going to complete all these quests and do all the right stuff because I want the best possible ending. And you don't get that best possible ending if you're a thief and a liar and you shoot people. And that's a different kind of role playing where it's more of like, yeah, you have to make the right choices as opposed to just make the interesting choices. That's true, yeah. I I was going to add, like, there's a few games um, where I feel like the story is either going towards a very specific ending, and if you don't get that one, like, uh, what am I actually like? A game I really like, but I I can see there being like a problem with one of its endings is Life is Strange. Mm. Like, okay, there's only Ooh. one good ending for this that fits the entire narrative and like the themat, like what the entire theme and point of the design is, mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah, you could totally ruin this, and it it feels a little dissonant. Whereas I think like. In something like Dungeons and Dragons or a tabletop where you can choose the ending, like you making those choices and it affecting the ending, it it, it comes off probably more true, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you see that with other yeah, games. Yeah. I, I, I see that and I also see a third road where, I mean, some of the first titles to kind of undo me, to undo that, okay, where's the beaten path that they want me to know about? Like that kind of like incessant need to find the win state is playing most telltale titles so like walking dead or like batman um wolf among us um, oftentimes i find those stories they kind of weave in a way that you can't really tell what the absolute win state is other other than to stay alive but in there you're constantly being reminded that the characters around you are asking you these gray kind of gradient questions about things and they're remembering all of them. And what it does for somebody like me who wants to be the good guy is it just instills perpetual anxiety because it's like, am I doing the right thing? And it ultimately ends up strong-arming you into just doing your thing, to doing the thing that you're supposed to do, which oftentimes feels like the kind of uh, the kind of nuance that a role-playing context might uh, might present. I, have you guys had a similar thing? I don't know if you guys played any of the Telltale titles, but like, um, there there is def- definitely much of a. Well, it's kind of like what the this whole golden age of television, where there is no perfect white hat, black hat, good guy, bad guy, but everybody kind of has a motive, and the question is which ones do you align with the most, and you could be on the wrong side of history, but only time will tell. 
Yeah, I think the best games are, are, are as you described, is that, you know, I want ambiguous choices. I want to, you know, play out the story and not necessarily know that I'm moving towards being a good guy. I want to I want to act like a good guy as my own accord. I don't want to have labeled like this is the good guy answer. You know, I don't want it to be like literally going back to to, to Mass Effect, there would be there would be, literally be Paragon choices like labeled choices of like this is the good guy choice and i don't think that's a good yeah. mechanic i don't i don't like that yeah i know like the first season of uh the walking dead i definitely had that feeling of there are, there are some moments where it's like the question is about your survival it's like will you uh hurt yourself to survive it's like yeah sure because it's a video game i'll definitely do that but like there are situations where i think the second episode I think I won't spoil it if you still haven't played it, but uh, there is uh, definitely a question near the end that it made me like really pause and think. And also, you can't really pause because there's a, a time limit. But like, it really shows your true colors in that moment of how do I feel? Because there really isn't a right or wrong answer. It's a matter of how people view you, how you view the situation, your relationship with them, and that's. Way more. I feel like that's a really interesting way to have morality choices, where it's really just like putting the mirror up to you to examine, like what what did I do in this one moment that I had to like make a quick choice. Yeah. I wonder if you guys have played Undertale and what your thoughts are on a game like that, where like without, I don't want to spoil that oh, too much, but so like good. the idea being that like the fundamental gameplay mechanics, like you early on decide how you're going to play the game. And that, like, you never even realize you're, how you're making the choice. But early on, you make a choice about how you're going to play the game, and that affects the ending completely. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a, a mm-hmm. really interesting story of, like, well, yeah, no, you made a moral cha- decision when you first started playing, and you didn't realize you were doing it, but you did, and that was your role-playing, and this is what happened. Mm-hmm. I really do think, like, I, I, I'm sure it's me saying this is overdone at people that know me, but it is like one of my favorite games uh, after playing <laughs> through it multiple times. I was like, Oh man, this is really, you can have that Matt. You can have it. It's just really clever, but it's also, it takes, I think uh, um, a problem with a lot of games that focus on your choices is they don't make every choice interesting. And mm-hmm. with like undertale, it's like each choice have, has a different style of, play uh, and it has real consequences and you know being good plays differently and is just as rewarding as playing neutral or playing bad you know i think that's something that's overlooked a lot where it's like being neutral and fallout i don't think is very fun you know mm. Mm. yeah i i think i think what stuck out to me about undertale that kind of dovetails with the whole idea of right and wrong was showing us what games tell us is right and then juxtaposing that to what the real world and like modern ethics believes is right. So almost like uh, – shoot, what comes to mind for me? Uh, so I think about Bioshock Infinite where like um, the first time you like clear a room, right? Like you have Elizabeth with you and you like clear out an entire room of dudes and by that I mean kill all of them, right? Like, she looks at you and disgust, like, what are you doing? Like, how are, like, you're rescuing me? Like, don't touch my hand. Like, you just massacred a room of people. Do you understand what you did? And, like, in my head, it's like, but video game and good and thing I'm supposed to do. <laughs> um, but what Undertale, Undertale sort of does that same thing where it refuses to reward 
um, what we traditionally understand as like positive progress or like heroic progress. And I thought that, that I thought that that was really interesting because it does kind of make you question who you are and like the role that you play and like if you really enjoy the thing that you're doing. So how other people view you in that world, I think, is, like, a really, um, I guess, like, powerful thing. It's, like, they it really yeah. does, like, affect how that game progresses and how other characters view you. Actually, you know what's another, um, I'm just curious, just to bring up these games with the morality choices, is, uh, have you played uh, This War of Mine? Yes, that's another really interesting yeah. one. So that yeah. one, I think, is really interesting because you purposefully, like, I guess there's games, uh, Undertale's one uh, early on, it's like you don't realize how your choices affect things. Mm-hmm. Um, there's other games that try to hide like what's the good and bad decision because mm-hmm. if you don't hide them, then it might end up like Mass Effect, where it's like you clearly know what direction you want to go in. With this war of mine, you know like what the bad decisions are, but many like oftentimes it's like this is the decision I have to make. There's no other choice I have presented for me to survive, like, I have to do something like rob a hospital. Like, mm-hmm. that comes up. Yeah, and I think this War of Mine is really interesting as a game because it is real world in the sense that it's, you know, set during, you know, these this wartime period in, in Bosnia in the 90s. And, like, it's actually, uh, the, the role-playing isn't, isn't imaginary in the sense that you're role-playing people that could be real people it's actually putting you in the situation and the role playing in the game is helping you understand like these are the, the the crises and the moral and ethical decisions that real people have to make in real times of war and that's really powerful and that's that uh, 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 one of the ways that role playing is just such a uh, a powerful and special tool is that a game that a game can kind of put you in the shoes of of a civilian in a war ravaged country. Like it's, it's very hard to do that to make people actually think about the choices that those people have to make. Mm-hmm. Um, not a lot of, not a lot of art can do that very well. And so as a, a game like this war of mine, I think is super successful in, in, uh, in making people think and, and understand, you know, how other people live. It's also a thing of like, it, it's those decisions role. And like, it's not a game that feels directed, it feels like they put you in the sandbox. It, I mean, this is exactly what they do. They put you in a sandbox, and like your decisions dictate how things play out. Like uh, you trying to overcome an obstacle will in- invariably have some con- un- unintended consequences, and those unintended consequences will inform the next obstacle you have to surpass. And you eventually do get to these. Like you obviously, like uh, you try to be the good guy, but, like, there are times where it's just like, no, I've gotten to this point where I need to uh, contend with a more, like, this ethically immoral decision, uh, and those also have consequences because uh, the the character's mental states are also at stake. So I thought that game was, like, remarkable Mm -hmm. of how how it, like, uses its systems. Because it's a very system-based game. Uh, it doesn't feel like it's forcing any type of decision on you. It's just a matter of like how you've, you know, contended with the rule set it's given you. Mm-hmm. So I guess as like a final question is, uh, is, has there been like a, um, 
I don't know, uh, a decision you've made in Dungeons & Dragons or a situation where you've, like, looked at yourself, like, or, or your character and go, like, oh, I did not know I was going to make that decision, and, like, what does that say about me, like? Sure, I mean, there have been times, I mean, a, 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 a positive example might be something like, you know, there have been times in role-playing games where I have sacrificed my character, you know, like, my character will die to save the rest of the party. And, you know, you kind of wonder, like, well, you know, because you're really losing something, especially in a game like Dungeons and Dragons, where you have a character that you've been playing for a long time, maybe. It could be years. You've got a lot of, of time and also personal emotions invested in that character. And so you get to that point of, like, well, I can save everybody, but I'm going to have to die. Like, it's interesting to, 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 to examine, like, whether or not you can actually make that decision. Will you sacrifice yourself? You know, there's also been, you know, the opposite. I've had times in role-playing games where it's like I kind of have to do something evil, and I don't, I don't necessarily want to do it. You know, I have to, you know, kill a demon who's disguised as a child, or like, I don't know, I'm just making up a scenario. But, like, there are those times where you have to do something you're uncomfortable with, and you sort of have to examine, like, I know this is just a game. I know I'm just role-playing, but is this the person I want to be, even in this fantasy world? I think that happens all the time. I, I could give you a, another example if you don't mind me spoiling like a ten-year-old game. Sure. So um, I don't know if you've played any of the Fable series, but oh, I played all of them. In Fable, I'm emotional wreck that yes. there won't be any more. Yeah, that's a real bummer. I wish they were making more. But Fable Two, one of the cool things about it is that you have this dog that follows you around the whole time, yeah. um, and you get really attached to this dog. You're supposed to play with the dog and reward it and give it treats. And if it gets hurt in combat, you get upset. Like you get really attached to the dog. And then at the yeah. end of the game, there's this moral decision you have to make, which basically boils down to you can save the lives of everyone. Like thousands of human lives, but you have to kill your dog. Right. And you know what? Screw those people. I wouldn't kill my dog. So I was playing the hero like the whole time. Like when it came to that choice, like no, I am not willing. I have gotten attached to this dog. I am not killing the dog. All those people uh, in the kingdom, screw them. You know Honestly, how, yeah. same. Because for the first one, I was so good, and then I totally got rid of my sister. Yeah. <laughs> now I think that's like a common like you know how like the Telltale games or like like those games now have uh, the percentages at the end of like what did other people oh make? yeah what people chose yeah yeah the dog I it has to be like very high that people just yeah. get their dog yeah <laughs> <laughs> like, of course come on I mean it's monumental I mean, yeah <laughs> <laughs> but cool um. That's all the questions. Someone I had, had to suffer for that horrible boss fight at the end. True. Oh my god, I forgot about that. But sweet. Uh, so right yeah. The, thanks for uh, talking with us, and hopefully uh, yeah. Thanks for we'll, being on the show. It's great. Yeah, this is great. Anytime, guys. And we'll be right back after this quick break. What happens if someone gets their hands on your social security number? An identity thief can commit all sorts of identity fraud with your personal information. They can open bank accounts, receive medical care in your name, file phony tax returns and steal your refund, and even commit crimes in your name. Often, it's difficult to track down these crimes and it can take years to clear up. 
One in four people have experienced identity theft. If you're only monitoring your credit, your identity can still be stolen in ways you may not detect. LifeLock detects a wide range of identity threats. If they detect your information being used, they'll send you an alert. If there's a problem, U.S.-based restoration specialists will work to fix it. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. Go to LifeLock.com or call 1-800-LIFELOCK. Use promo code FORBES, that's FORBES, for 10% off your LifeLock membership. Visit LifeLock.com and save 10% now. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Garnishing your ham with pineapple? Pair it with a delicious Chardonnay to make their taste buds swirl. Deviled eggs are even better when paired with a light, dry wine like a bubbly Prosecco or a Pinot Grigio. For me, nothing beats recommending a great wine. And with such an extensive selection, I can help you find the perfect one in your budget. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! Next, Eric Kane and Paul Tassi talk the best games of 2017. It's obviously Bubsy. Hi, I'm Eric. And I'm Paul. This week we're going to kind of look at the year in review a bit and just talk about some of our, our favorite games, kind of games that, that jumped out to us in 2017. Um, not necessarily the, the very best games or you know, game of the year type thing, but just kind of games that, that made a mark and that were important uh, that we played that we wrote about, things like that. Um, so, yeah, to kick things off, I mean, what would you say if you were to pick one game of 2017 and say this game made had the biggest impact on the video game industry? Uh, can, can you can you pick just one? If if we're going by that metric, hmm, that's, that's a little tough. I would say, I mean, the obvious two are kind of the two Nintendo games that kind of prove that Nintendo is still kind of in it with Zelda and Mario. Yeah, but if I had to pick just one, I would probably pick Battlegrounds. <laughs> yeah, um, that's just been such a massive force in the industry, and we're only seeing it kind of a little bit this year with kind of a couple imitators. But it seems pretty clear that that's going to be kind of the next big thing. Like we just had the whole hero shooter trend, and now we're definitely going to have the battle royale, you know, <laughs> randomized tournament trend. So I, I think overall, probably Battlegrounds is the most significant game of the year. That was actually finished. <laughs> yeah, that was the that was the game that I had in mind when I when I actually asked that question because it's just it, it yeah it's clearly just so influential and will have such a major impact on I think I think we'll see it a lot more yeah in twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen than we're seeing even this year. Um, what, what, yeah, it's already proving to be pretty interesting because I mean Fortnite. Is, is is the biggest kind of imitator and there's kind of a dust up about that whether they were like you know copying too much but that game as kind of the first major imitator has also blown up just extremely so it's not only that battlegrounds has done it it's that it has proven that imitators can also be yeah. <laughs> hugely successful within the same space and that there's a big kind of, of window for that so i think yeah and it's interesting because i it, it, it imitated too much, I think, but it is kind of the nature of like a new genre emerging. And I know it's like, it's not completely a new genre because there are other games that kind of led to Battlegrounds, but the Battle Royale, the style of that, of that game is very different from an H1Z1 or, a, you know, some of these other like Rust or whatever. Um, but, but I think, you know, when the first person shooter genre started with, you know, way back in the day with, you know, like uh, Wolfenstein and whatnot, uh, Pretty quickly, you saw pretty just a, t- a whole genre emerge with tons of imitators, and now, of course, it's one of the biggest genres out there. 
it'll be this it'll reminds be... me this reminds me of like kind of what happened with mobas where mm-hmm, they started mm-hmm. as mods like very clearly very and true. that's where they originated and then people made started making full games based on those like dota and, and league and stuff and then that's when it kind of made the jump from this kind of smaller thing that was was taking root to something major that huge publishers were going after that became some of you know the biggest games on the market yeah, and I think that that even I mean, if you want to talk about first-person shooters, that was also what happened. There was there were mods being made, and a lot of those mods then turned into full-scale games. And you know, based on like you know the the engines used for for Doom or Quake, and then and then that emerged into a huge genre. MOBAs, absolutely, that started with uh, what Warcraft three. Yeah, and that's that's what led to Dota and and. I don't play MOBAs because I hate MOBAs. Do you play MOBAs? I, I, I played League for maybe like two years, and then I, I had to give it up. It was just like 40-minute grueling matches. I, I couldn't handle them. <laughs> That's what I don't understand. So what I what what's so amazing about Battlegrounds is that it's a seriously accessible game. It's it's very easy to get in and into and just play as long as you want. It, it is stressful, but it's it's a game that anyone can win, even if you're not the best player. Uh, and if you lose, you don't feel terrible because, right, because you're supposed to lose to a certain extent, you know? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you can play with a squad, but if you're solo, it's not like you're going to be shamed by playing poorly because you're just sort of playing on your own. And, and you know, it doesn't require that kind of intense skill of like a Call of Duty. And it's certainly, see, what the thing about MOBAs is that they require a level of skill and knowledge and teamwork that's that I, I find, frankly, um, it's it's prohibitive. And yet yeah. they're very popular. I don't get it. Why are they so popular? <laughs> the Asian market still still really loves them a lot. But yeah. I mean, I, I think we're going to start to see it. I mean, we're already seeing kind of Dota's numbers have dropped pretty significantly. Yeah. Uh, Riot will probably say that League is still growing until the end of time. <laughs> but that's all internal metrics. So I, I, I'm assuming it's it's true. But we're not we're not exactly seeing new kind of innovators in the MOBA space. And when we are, like... Uh, uh, what's the game Battle Battleborn? Where they have, it was kind of like a first person MOBA. It's like one of the modes like that hasn't really caught on. Yeah, it was like hero um, shooter meets MOBA. Well, the last kind of major innovation in that space was maybe Heroes of the Storm, and it's kind of a more accessible version. But even that yeah. is probably one of Blizzard's least popular games, if not <laughs> the most least popular. But probably I, I never play that game. I mean, I've tried it, but it's again, it's just this. It's it. It's also not. I just don't really see the fun. I, I can't imagine watching MOBAs. I, I guess I just don't get it. I, I like. I like. I can see watching a first-person shooter. I can see watching Dark Souls. I can see watching someone play Mario or racing game. Oh, you mean for streaming? Okay. Yeah, but they're so. It's so popular to, for people to watch those games. See, you know? MOBAs. I, I understood the esports angle of MOBAs because, like, I was even watching more than I was playing at a certain point because. I think that game with the with the top down perspective where it's zoomed way out where you can kind of see all the action at yeah, once. I think sense. that's pretty accessible in a way where like if you're constantly jumping around between people's first person shooter views, that can be a little more frenetic. And I, I feel like kind of MOBA is maybe one of the best spectator sports, like that or RTS games like mm-hmm. StarCraft, but and uh like, you know, newer I'm I'm still trying to figure out if, if pub would be a, a good spectator sport or not. And I know there's tournaments and stuff, but that's it's a little bit of a different category there. Yeah. There um there's an interesting thing. There's a game that was that's being made for to like specifically for Twitch where spectators have a an impact on 
the outcome. I haven't read a lot about it, but I feel like that's going to be something that's also kind of influential as we get as streaming as the nature of streaming and the nature of gameplay become more connected, even yeah, in game design terms. I think that's, that's, that's a trend to watch for maybe, but actually this isn't a trend to watch for podcasts. <laughs> We're sliding into trend into other yes. territory here. <laughs> Back to, uh, to games. <laughs> all right. So PUBG or battlegrounds, whatever you want to call it, most influential game of the year. Uh, what about your uh, your guilty pleasure game of the year? What, what do you what do you play that that you, you're sort of embarrassed to say is like really fun and, and that you? I got an easy one for that, and I've I've written about it a couple times, but only just because it's not super popular, so there's no real reason to cover it like all the time. But I I play a mobile game called Marvel Contest of Champions, and it's it's not even new. It's been out a couple of years, but it's something I've just gotten like weirdly into where it's, it's kind of like a stripped down version of something like injustice, but with Marvel characters and touch controls. And it's a gotcha game where you have like star ratings for your champions and whatever. And so that kind of aspect of it can be annoying. But the reason I've been so into it is that like my buddy recruited me and it's like, Hey, you got to join like, you know, our clan with like our other friend. I'm like, Oh cool. So that was going to be like the three of us. And now I find myself in a 30 person, <laughs> Marvel Contest of Champions clan that communicates on <laughs> Slack like daily. Wow. <laughs> and I have gotten like super deep into this because it's so easy to just kind of pick up and put down whenever I want and like in, in between other these, you know, these massive games I'm playing. So it's goofy and like it's super pay to win and but it, it is fundamentally kind of a, a good game and it's one of the better kind of just mechanically fun mobile games that I've played. And then the fact that I'm playing with literally three or four of my fr- like real life friends, which I never play anything <laughs> with, with real life friends anymore. Cause nobody has the time or nobody owns consoles. So yeah. to me, like even this is some random kind of goofy mobile game. That's, that's what I've been playing a, a decent amount of. <laughs> so this is basically like what should be happening with destiny too. Like you should have like three or four of your friends and you should all be in a clan together and, playing daily and, and competing, but you're doing it with a, with a mobile right, game. It, so you that's what... about it. It's, it's so much harder with destiny. Cause like I have one friend I think now who owns yeah. a PS4 and I, I certainly don't have five or six <laughs> to do a raid or something right. like that. And if I'm doing a raid, that's like a four hour window of time as opposed to this, where I can, I, for a quote unquote raid in this game, I need to play a total of like maybe 20 minutes over like a 24 hour period <laughs> to make sure I'm contributing. So it's, it's just more flexible. So that's why I've been, been able to stick with it. The future is casual. Yeah. Do you, do, so do you have a game like, I assume it's not a mobile game, but do you have a, no, a guilty pleasure I, game? I, I, I keep downloading mobile games and say I'm, I'm going to play them and then I just never do. <laughs> um, I, I think lately and probably, um, overall this year, it would have to be call of duty. Like that's been my, my big game. And I, I was really determined this year to get better at it so that I could um, do better when the new one came out. So I played a lot of Black Ops 3 and a lot of Infinite Warfare all year. And then I'm pretty good now. I'm getting a lot of second and third places in matches. Um, uh, I mean, I'm still not, you know, I'm still not nearly like the top players. But um, I think especially with World War II, with War Mode, that gives me the chance to really play the objective and and kind of help the team out in ways that aren't just kills, you know? I really yeah. like that. But I just, I don't know, I, like, these days lately, like, if I sit down to just play a game to have fun, I put on Call of Duty. And there's so many things that it makes me feel guilty because I sh- I'm like, oh, I should be catching, I should try to get through, you know, Divinity Original Sin 2. I should, I should pick back up Horizon Zero Dawn. I should, 
you know, Assassin's Creed, you know, all these games that I haven't finished this year. Um, and I don't, I just, I, I, well, I guess it's also so like cool. Passion. It's so cool to hate call of duty these days yeah, it is. It's <laughs> where so cool it's like, it. if you enjoy call of duty, like that somehow makes you lame. So that like it, it like somehow we're in the situation where it qualifies as a guilty pleasure when it's going to be yeah. the best selling game of the year know, <laughs> by like a so hundred miles. So and it really it's kind is of a, a weird game. situation. Like that's the thing is that it's fun. That not all the maps are great. There's some maps I really don't like, and I, I can never really get into zombie mode because again, like I don't know, I'm just it's not my bag, I guess. But you know, sit down for half an hour, like you said, it's kind of the similar thing where I can sit down and play for thirty, forty five minutes, and then and and you know, gain some experience points, have some fun, turn it off. You know, and it's it's just a it's a small investment, and that's nice. I like that. Yeah. Um, hmm. So, what would you say would be maybe your most surprising game of the year, either good or bad? Like something you thought was going to rock that was terrible, or something that you thought <laughs> was going to be mediocre that was great. Um, I'll go with like surprising good because I think we can go to like we we have a whole game to talk about if we want to talk about surprising bad uh, Star Wars, <laughs> um, but surprising good. I think you know. I think I was. I'm going to go with Zelda because, really? okay. yeah, not not that I didn't think it would be good, but that I didn't I didn't think it would be anything like it actually ended up being. Because in, in, instead of being a traditional Zelda game, it was a almost the opposite of a traditional Zelda game. Um, there weren't massive dungeons to explore. They didn't. There was no like gating of progression like in it. You know, in a traditional Zelda game, you have to find items that then help you get through the world. But in this Zelda, basically, they're like, you can go anywhere you want to, right from the very beginning after you get off the plateau, and you can do anything, and you can, and there's, and it just ended up being such a different experience than I'm used to with Zelda games. So I think that was my big surprise. I mean, I'm probably not even thinking of other very surprising games, but no, that's, that's... a good, that's a good thing I never really thought about, was because, I, I guess I always knew Zelda would be quote-unquote good, but right. I guess the surprise for me also would have been I wasn't expecting that I would like <laughs> this Zelda so much. Like I've liked you know Zelda games here and there, and I've played the classics. But like Zelda's not like a series where when a new game comes out, I'm like, oh, you know this this is definitely yeah. a must play for me no matter what. And like I skipped Skyward Sword and, and a few of the other ones, mm-hmm. and but this one hooked me, and I played it pretty much straight for like 110 hours or something, yeah, which it was, it was that insane. surprises me, that I, I was that into it and enjoyed it that much to play it that much. That might be my, my biggest, like my longest time spent with a game this year also, just because I, I it fascinated me. It fascinated me that I was walking, you know, I was walking through a, a rainy, like swampy area and suddenly there's this giant thing laying there snoring on the ground, and I, I just walk around, you know, or that... Um, I, I was able to shoot uh, one of the uh, goblin things, and I can't think of their name right now, and then jump on his horse and take the horse. You know, all these little surprising things. What, I think in, in, in a big way, it, it totally restored my faith in the ability of an open world game to be extraordinary. You know, yeah. open world had become this almost dirty phrase in my mind because so much of so much of what we were seeing was sort of this by-the-numbers version of what an open world was. And then we got Zelda, and it was just a complete innovation. In, and almost, I mean, it, it borrowed things like climbing towers and whatnot, so it, it used some things that were common in the in the open world genre, but then it did so much new and innovative with that. And it just it surprised me at every turn, and it was... Exploration was just endlessly 
amazing. You'd walk, you know, you'd walk over and suddenly there's this amazing view. And, and then you look down and you're like, oh, I can go down there and, and find some other amazing thing. And it was just, it was just so cool. <laughs> I would say also if I was going to pick a number two, it would be Assassin's Creed Origins. As that was a, mine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. I stole your thunder. No, you, no. But I, I agree. I mean, it's <laughs> that was a game where I, I really wasn't excited about it. Really, I didn't think just an extra year off would be enough to kind of cure what ailed that series. But the final product is just, it's so well polished. It's one of the best kind of most beautiful open world maps I've ever seen in any game, and I've I've played a lot of open-world games at this point. And while it kind of uses a lot of base, traditional Assassin's Creed elements, like you still climb towers and there's still side quests and this and that, like, I was was genuinely surprised how much it clearly wanted to learn from better games, uh, namely The Witcher 3, (laughs) in an effort to kind of be a game that you want to spend, you know, 60, 80 hours with, rather than one that's making you just do that because you want to 100% the map and collect all the feathers and whatever. It, and, it, it is amazing. It's amazing that they did such an about-face on a, on, a, on a game. You know, this has been the working formula for years for Assassin's Creed and for other Ubisoft games, basically, Far Cry and whatnot. And they, they did such an about-face, I, I honestly could not believe it. Yeah, it was, it's, it was genuinely shocking. And, like, I guess I, I reviewed it better than most people like kind of higher, but I, I don't regret that score at all. I think it was, it's really innovative in the ways it needs to be innovative. And then it sticks to the core of what it needs to stick with and kind of improves on the old systems, uh, in really kind of noticeable ways. And yeah. I, I think it's in the, it's the best game overall. And in, in the whole history of the series, like even black flag, like black flag was amazing and had the ship combat, but I think Assassin's Creed Origins just overall is, is fundamentally the better game. And what, one of the best open world games probably I've played yeah, I agree. It, it's 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 probably objectively better than Black Flag in terms of the combat and the side missions and things like that. They're just simply better, and the graphics are better. Um, I loved Black Flag for all it did. It was a great game, but uh, it feels dated compared to this one for sure. Um, so yeah, kudos to Ubisoft. I, I was just it really really surprising that it that it was so. I mean, at the same time, they took a year off. So we knew this was going to be a little different. We knew there was going to be more polish and it wasn't going to be the kind of the buggy disaster that Unity was and and whatnot. So um, what about uh, your your favorite new IP? Favorite new IP? Man, I'm having a little bit of a tough time thinking of that many new IPs. The one Um, that comes to mind immediately would probably be Horizon Zero Dawn. Yeah, um, that like I th- that was a great game. I thought it was a little kind of empty in some ways, but like what it did, it did really well. Like the core kind of you know woman versus dinosaur mechanics, like that aspect of it was really good. It was a beautiful world, and I really and I like it as a new IP because it's a really kind of innovative concept. And one of the best parts of the game, for me at least, was the explanation of like why are these like prehistoric people with weird tech like fighting robot dinosaurs and the the it actually came up with a reasonable explanation <laughs> as to like why that's happening which i was not expecting it to do and so that was kind of a pleasant surprise to me and, and something that made me really kind of invest in the world and want want to see where it goes from here it sure was a neat world i i agree with you on the emptiness and i know i'll admit i didn't finish the game it's another one on my on my growing list of unfinished titles but um 
I did, you know, I criticized that game as being a little tedious in some ways with the constantly having to pick flowers and stuff, you know, and fill that part's it. not great. The the health <laughs> refill system where it's like get ten flowers every time your health is low. It's like okay, that's <laughs> yeah. Not I wish necessary. they'd come out with like a mode that just had regenerative health. This is one thing I've learned in 2017 is that I really don't like games that don't let you <laughs> either regenerate your health or do it in a simple and elegant way. Like Dark yeah. Souls, you don't gain your health back, but the Estus Flask system allows you to just drink an Estus Flask, get your health back. And then it pr- gives you scarcity. You can run out of Estus Flasks, but that's a challenge. It's not tedious. Um, whereas like a game like Demon Souls, before it, you had to constantly f- get consumables and that's and bloodborne you know you had to get the blood vials that's annoying i don't like that i like elegant systems for health horizon zero dawn really dropped the ball there i think call of duty's campaign this year dropped the ball there uh wolfenstein my god wolfenstein is like almost unplayable because of how bad that Mm -hmm. system is to me at least (laughs) it really is it's it's extremely frustrating and i wish they i wish i wish if if they could learn one thing this year that game developers would learn that that tedious, clicky health systems like that are not fun. They are not it's cause, fun and they are not interesting. People complain for so long about like, oh, you just hide behind a wall and heal bullet wounds. It's like, yeah, well, some things are invented because they're more fun in gameplay. Right, because <laughs> you don't actually heal Crawl around wounds. a map finding health packs. You, you know, health is an abstraction in a game. You know, it's like hit points in D&D. It's not actually bullet wounds. You know, you don't just put like a... a first aid pack on your chest and heal a bullet wound. That's no more realistic than ducking behind something, you know? So you have to look at health as an abstraction. Like, you know, if, if you've read, you know, if you read about hit points, a lot of people explain them as not like actually necessarily wounds, but like just the whole, like becoming weary from battle and becoming scattered. And, and you just, I don't know. It's, it's no more regenerative health is what I'm, or non-regenerative health or other elegant systems, please. Yeah. Um, my pick for like a new IP would probably be Neo, which I thought was a really cool game. Um, just a really that you know samurai game, kind of soulsy, uh, really hard. Did you play that? That is one I skipped, so no. Yeah, you should check that out. Um, I think it's. I think you might like it. it. You liked you liked Bloodborne a lot, right? I did, yes, despite yeah. my initial reservations. <laughs> yeah, so you might you might like this. It's it's um, it's really it's a cool game. It's it's you know it's kind of combines more of a Diablo approach to loot with the kind of a Souls approach to combat, and then uh, it's it's fun when you know if you ever if you ever have time for it. <laughs> yeah, so just uh, got to get through this Horizon Z DLC and finish the Battlefront yeah. campaign and 10 million other things. <laughs> yeah, the Battlefront campaign, that's really short, and I keep on saying I'm going to play it, and then you know I get off you know writing and playing Call of Duty. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so, um, if, if you were to pick out, I know we said we weren't going to do like best game of the year, but if you were to pick out one game that you would give the game of the year award to, what would it be? Uh, I think it's, it's stereotypical, but I, I think it's probably got to be Breath of the Wild. Um, Super Mario Odyssey is also up there, but so good. Breath of the Wild was just such an experience that I don't think anything else is particularly close, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, this <laughs> and, is a great year for games, and there were so yeah, many. Yeah, good- incredible year, incredible year for games. Wow. And, that, and there were so many games, games, but <laughs> oh yeah, but I agree. I would, I would do the yeah. same thing. Um, I, it, I have to believe that's going to win, win most Game of the Year awards, and what it doesn't win, Mario will win. <laughs> so. Yeah. 
yeah, quite, quite the year for Nintendo. The um, and I think the Switch. If if I were to pick a, a hardware of the year, it would be the Nintendo Switch. I mean, as oh yeah, as, as powerful as the Xbox One X is, it's just not nearly as interesting or or compelling as the Switch. Yep, and I I might not think that if the Switch also didn't have just such a great software year, because if it's a right. great system with nothing to it, it'd be like, eh, whatever. But because it also came out with like two kind of once-in-a-generation games in one year, right. like you, you kind of have to own one. Yeah, and then also it's they've done a great job of getting like indie games on there and doing some rebooted Wii U games, mm-hmm. and we've got you know Xenoblade Chronicles 2 coming out in a week and a half or something, so... Yeah. massive open world RPG uh, certainly won't hurt. Um, and then just the fact that, you know, the Pokemon, the future of Pokemon is on the switch. It's just, it's, it's a, it's really kind of a perfect console. It's, you know, minus some flaws uh, with left joystick and whatnot. It's tough to get that fixed. Yeah. Um, no, cool. Uh, I think that, that wraps it up. We've got our, Oh, we wanted to say, sorry. We want to say our most, the most disappointing, um, surprisingly, <laughs> Disappointing game of the year, and I think I think that clearly for me at least is is the new Star Wars and just kind of all the shenanigans around that. Um, I guess I didn't have like super high expectations for it going in, but you know why I did? It was because of the single player campaign. Yeah, I was really looking forward to like a fully fledged Star Wars game, you know? Uh, Because we don't have that, (laughs) not really. So. I don't know. Was there anything more disappointing for you this year? Um, I don't know. I, I'd say in some ways, like I was just bummed with how Mass Effect Andromeda played out because that oh, was yeah, just that such was. a buzzkill. Like the game itself is is honestly a lot better than most people give it credit for, but it is worse than the main trilogy, like definitely. And it also performs so poorly; it has essentially killed Mass Effect for know, the really foreseeable sad. future. So, just generally, I was kind of bummed with how that worked out and I'm starting to grow kind of disappointed with destiny Two. the more time goes on. Like I was really jazzed about it for like two weeks, but that game does not really have a long tail built in compared to the first one. So that's enthusiasm continues to wane for that one. I think that there's some, and maybe this will be a topic for another time, but I think that there, the promise of the game is service, um, that you can play perpetually for year and year in year out, you know, is, is a promise that is maybe a little overzealous because, you know, part of the reason I think that some people might have be, be burning out on Destiny 2 a little bit quicker is is also just that they spent so much time with the first Destiny. I mean, I know that you're saying there's not a huge, like, tail end built in, but, like, the fact is we have spent the last few years playing Destiny already. Like, the bloom is off the rose to some degree. Right. Well, and the second game is not different enough where it, right. it feels like a totally transformative experience and, like... Uh, so that that's it's definitely kind of like year four of Destiny, not year right. one of something brand new. Exactly, exactly. Well, cool. Um, we're recording this before Thanksgiving, so uh, have a happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Even though you'll be listening to it afterwards, and uh, check us out next week on the Overworld Podcast. See ya. That's it for this episode of Overworld. Thanks for listening. I'm Matt Perez. And I'm Satchel Drakes. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please reach us at overworld at podcast1. That's O-N-E dot com. And also you can reach us on Twitter. My handle is at Satchel Drakes. That's Satchel like a bag with an extra L. And mine is Matt Ryan Perez. Thanks for listening. Take care. 
everybody, it's Heather Dubrow. Come join me for Heather Dubrow's World exclusively on Podcast One. We have so many fun conversations and great guests. Recently, Corinne Olympios from The Bachelor was here. Suzanne Summers, Matt Eisman, Tamara Judge, my buddy, was here. All kinds of really fun. Randy Jackson, Kellen Lutz. I didn't let him bite me. Join me every Friday on PodcastOne.com, the new Podcast One app, and subscribe to Apple Podcasts. At Farmers Insurance, we know a roof can withstand a lot. One exception being an airborne car. Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying. And the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.